This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review One Day at a Time by Symposium. It's hard to be funny but not be joking. I just couldn't not think of that band when I was hearing those songs. I feel like that's when they start to lose the plot a little bit. Not a fan of the drummer on this record. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me once again, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, we are in episode 103, our first of season three. We have our very first requested review. Feels good, doesn't it, Jay? People are actually paying us to give our opinion about records that they hold dear or are just curious what we have to say about the records. So do you feel any pressure? This is our first pay-for-review. This is our first pay-for-review. It's not just a listener request. It's actual a pay-to-play. Pay-to-play. It's our payola number one of season three. We are completely unashamed of that. (laughs) So it comes to us from across the pond. Mr. Matthew, I hope I pronounced his last name right, Slateholm in England. He requested that we check out the band Symposium and their release One Day at a Time. Requested, Requested review. review. Jay, were you familiar with Symposium before Matthew sent us this suggestion? No, I was not. Neither was I. Uh, this one was completely off my radar. And uh, I had to do a lot of research to find out anything about this band. They have a Wikipedia page like a lot of bands do. And there are some blog posts here and there. But what we got from our Facebook posters is probably some of the most interesting information. And we're going to get to that a little bit later. But how about we do the history of the band, Jay? How about we? Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) Symposium... (laughs) I throw you there? Uh, you did. Sort of this blue moon that I'm nursing. History of the band. So, uh, Symposium formed in Shepherd's Bush, London, England in 1994 by Ross Cummins on vocal. This name I cannot pronounce. It's like Hagap to Chaparian. It's like the name with like T-C-H to start. Come on. That's not fair. On guitar, we'll just call him Hag on guitar. Joe Birch on drums, William McGonagall on guitar, and again, another name, Wajek Godzitz on bass, vocals, and also listed as the songwriter. Now, here's the interesting thing, Jay. The average age of the band in 1994 was 18. So you can guess that there were some in the 16 and 17 range, some in the 20, 21 range, maybe. Mm-hmm. This was a... Kind of a young band. So they signed to Infectious Records in 1996, which was also the home of Ash and later My Vitriol. And they released the single Drink the Sunshine, which became a uh, championed song by magazines such as Enemy and Melody Maker. In 1997, they released the eight-track mini-album One Day at a Time. And that is the suggestion... Matthew sent us the 8-track mini-album, One Day at a Time. Now, here's the interesting parts about this. The first five songs on the 8-track album were produced by Clive Langer and Alan 
Winstaley, who are known as Langer and Winstaley. They're a production group, and they've also they also worked at the time with Madness, Dexy's Midnight Runners, Elvis Costello, They Might Be Giants, Morrissey, and Bush on 16 Stone. Hmm. So they were heavyweights. In May of 1998, basically about six or seven months later, they finally released their full-length album, On the Outside. It was produced by Martin Glover, who was the bass player in Killing Joke, who has also worked with The Future Heads, Embrace, Marilyn Manson, The Verve, Beth Orton, and James, just to name a few. At the end of 1998, they left Infectious Records. They released an EP in 1999 and then broke up in 2000. And that is the history of Symposium. Now, the band members went on to do other things. I'm not going to get into that, take up too much time. Uh, but if you would like to make a requested review, visit our request review page at digmeoutpodcast.com, just like Matthew did. Now, I mentioned the Facebook feedback earlier, Jay. This is going to mm-hmm. get fun. So, you know, every week we post an upcoming album so people can chime in with their thoughts and opinions on the record and then we can uh, mention them on the show so we posted the uh, symposium album a couple weeks before this recording and uh, we had our uh, good friend of the show dimitri Dummytree, chimed in with probably one of the funniest opening lines of, of ever uh, we've had for a, a facebook feedback oh no not this album <laughs> he said you can tell these guys were really young and looking for their identity were they going to be indie power rock or a ska band i did like drink the sunshine at the time it came out in france on a cd with rock sound magazine but the rest of the album didn't do much for me it was given to me and i chucked it they became hell is for heroes if i'm not mistaken and their first album was really good but it's 2000 something uh and then he also chimed in another post oh and don't you think the chorus of drink the sunshine sounds like duran duran's rio We'll get into that. Uh, Matthew, our suggestor, he then chimed in. He said, you can blame me. I nominated it. Reminds me of my mid-teens and going to Reading Festival. Amazing live, but imploded as they were about to break through. Some became Hellas for Heroes, as Dimitri mentioned. And then Matthew said, it's now an industry phrase doing a symposium. So apparently (laughs) over in the industry, in the music industry over there, if you implode... uh, you, be, you are doing a symposium when you're young. So that is the, uh, the Facebook feedback that we received for a symposium. And their mini album, our first mini album, One Day at a Time, which in the 70s would just be called an album. But in the 90s, it's, <laughs> exactly. it's half of an album. So, Jay, One mm. Day at a Time, Symposium. You and I were not familiar. You and I did not know the backstory of this band. We can only judge the music that we listen to. What's your opinion of Symposium? Is this a uh, a band that you only want to listen to one more time, or are there many days ahead for Symposium? Mm, that's an interesting way to put it. <laughs> this album's an interesting journey, for sure. Uh, I, as I went through and started taking notes on the songs, I was um, kind of scribbling down, like, how I would most uh, simply uh, classify each of the songs. And, it, and to me, it kind of starts out as like kind of a grungy pop kind of thing with Drink the Sunshine. 
um, mm-hmm. with a little bit of a tinge of like a grande kind of feel to it. And then track yeah, two, definitely. just, I don't know, it sounds exactly like Green Day to me, like identical. Um, but then by track three, they transitioning and some of the punky element is removed and it's a little bit more focused on pop, you know, just kind of a pop rock sound um, with uh, a little bit more um, layering, um, not as uh, riff heavy a little bit more space in it, a little bit more focus on hooks. Then when you get to track four, all of a sudden, they're a ska band, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it kind of hit me out of out of nowhere. It's not really this song in particular. I will say that it, you know, from a from a ska standpoint, it's more the Clash than it is uh, Cherry Pop and Daddies or whatever the hell. <laughs> I don't even remember like what ska band. I don't think they qualify. I think you, yeah, I think you're, I think you're thinking of more uh, Mighty Mighty Boss tones, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, Cherry Pop and Daddy's. It's, Cherry Pop it's more swing. The, the clash, I would say, in terms of, you know, the, yeah. it's really just a rhythm that they're using in a, a drum and bass, uh, drum and guitar rhythm in that song that would make it Scottish. whatsoever so it didn't really it was a little odd but it didn't completely turn me off and then and then it sort of goes in reverse again then it sort of the next song is a pop song which is a little bit quieter a little bit more layered and they do another green day song and then they sort of evolve back to fizzy which is another ska song but it's sort of like it, it you know through tracks uh four you work your way up to ska and then it reverses and you work your way back to sort of the pop Green Day stuff, and then you end up at Seven, which is another ska song, and then they end the album with probably what's the most, um, I guess, um, original, or at least it, it, it it's the best attempt at combining all of those elements together into one song, which is the song Smiling. So it kind of runs the gamut. It has elements of all the other songs and all the other 
sort of uh, sounds of this band uh, all on one track. At the end of the day, I mean, I really just, I respond to the stuff that's more popular oriented, really. So like Farewell to Twilight, I think really strong. I mean, for being pretty young, they're pretty skilled at writing choruses. You know, I think even on the stuff mm-hmm. that is um, a little bit, uh, you know, even ska stuff, like when they get to the chorus, they kind of just become a, a, power, a pop rock band, you know, and uh, are usually able to deliver a pretty memorable chorus, regardless of the sort of stylistic leanings of the verses or intros. So I, I was more attracted to um, stuff where they they just were a pop rock band, you know, so uh, that and um, I believe Fear of Flying, which was a little bit more mid-tempo and um, I think allowed the this band to experiment a little bit more and kind of play a little bit more, you know, different tempos and textures and sounds. So, you know, those are the songs that I, that I thought were, were the best and the ones that I enjoyed the most. Um, I think the, tell me if I'm wrong here, but the, the green day stuff, it's not bad. I mean, it's not poorly written or it's not so derivative that you'll completely write it off, but I just couldn't not think of that band when I was hearing those songs. So I sort of, in my mind was downgrading a little bit, but they're still pretty, pretty good pop rock songs. So, I mean, for being pretty young, there's a lot of talent here. Would you? Yeah, there's definitely in this, in the songwriting department, I definitely agree with you that they can craft a chorus, whether or not they're, you know, taking a little bit from Duran Duran's Rio. Eh, you know, there's only so many notes and melodies get borrowed here and there. And that happens, whatever. I thought, I think, the thing that I noticed the most is that I could definitely tell that the first five songs were produced differently than the last three songs. Like they just had a different guitar sound. The, they were bigger on the first five five songs. They're just heavier, and I think that the guitar sort of thinned out on the last three songs. Which uh, for track seven, fizzy. Yep. It, it sounded like madness to me. Like madness, the band, not madness, the you know things going yeah. mad and i'm not a big madness fan no, so the, the the ska that they did in puddles didn't really bother me like you said that it's the clash did that hell rushed through some ska into a song and mm-hmm. i liked you know stuff that the police did with ska that's fine uh using it as a part of the song they, they transition well because it goes from the ska rhythm in the verse into the chorus which is not a ska chorus like you said and it, it's more of just a straightforward rock chorus. And it sounds cool. I, I, I can appreciate, you know, throwing some influences here and there in rather than writing a whole ska song, which would have been a problem. Um, That's, that song even has like the the oboe or whatever the hell that instrument is that ska bands use. You know what I'm talking about? Like the counter in the verses, the, uh, the counter. I don't know. There's some like horn instrument. I don't know if it's saxophone or what the hell it is, but it's like you know it's like the back there's like a backbeat instrument and that song even has that on there hmm. i think it's a keyboard is it Might and it's got keyboard. the extra percussion in it like there's another snare drum or secondary mm-hmm. drums or something i don't know i could not get over the fact that when i was listening to one day at a time that i was imagining an alternate universe in which the tv show one day at a time as the theme song just imagine Ooh. that song
the uh, what just happened the theme for that. <laughs> I went off on a tangent, Jay. That's what happens. No, I, I I like that song. I think that song and Farewell to Twilight. They both have nice dynamics going on, and yeah, they're very especially one day at a time has a Green Dayish feel. And this comes out in '97. They've been a band since '94. Yeah. Green Day's been around since the early '90s. They're obviously influenced by both British and American punk and and pop punk. So, yeah, you're going to hear those connections, and I'm sure would have heard those connections back then, too. Mm-hmm. So where they're able to differentiate themselves from, I think, bands that were in the U.K. at the time is that they're embracing straightforward power pop or punk, or not power pop, but pop punk, um, where a lot of British bands and U.K. bands weren't doing that in 1997. I mean, it was that was full-on yeah. Oasis versus Oasis versus Blur, Britpop, you know, this sort of band was not the cup of tea for the mainstream, although they did get championed by Enemy and Melody Maker. I kind of feel like it was a one-song wonder thing with them. Um, I'm not surprised that the band didn't really do much. As far as I know, they didn't do anything in the United States. So, But doesn't that happen with Enemy um, a lot? Isn't that their thing? Like, they they're always like yeah, jumping discover on some, bands when they just have yeah. like an EP or a demo out and try to build them up, and then some t- most of the time they don't end up a- being that amazing. Absolutely, it's like find the young band, promote you know find the one song that they have out, promote the hell out of it. You just we discovered this band, and then when they actually put out an album, it's like okay, next who's the next band that we yeah. can you know jump on? <laughs> the album comes out, and they're like meh, whatever. Yeah, next. <laughs> so, and I, I unfortunately I don't I, you know I don't know that this even as an, as a mini album does it for me uh, in terms of do I want to listen from start listen to it from start to finish? Like I said, I, I really hear the difference in the first five from the last three songs, and I think those yeah. first five songs are all really good. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, where you're talking about them, you know, expanding their sound and taking it in other directions, I feel like that's when they start to lose the plot a little bit. And I would have mm. liked to have heard them really hone in on those pop punk tendencies that they're showing, and 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 the talents. I mean, you know, these are young guys, and I, I'm curious. I didn't hear. I haven't heard that actual album that came out in '98. So they did pothead. have. Oh, they did apparently have a compilation. Yeah, pothead. They a compilation on the BBC that came out in 1999. So yeah, um, I don't think the. Um, let me clarify my point on the last song. It's probably. You know, third on my list. So I, I like Farewell to Twilight and I like Fear Flying, which I think we agree are, are the most pop-oriented two songs, especially Farewell to Twilight. Smiling, I just felt was, at least in terms of this album, was the one time when they were able to successfully, in some ways, put together all the different pieces in, into one song.
I don't think that song's you know great or been the best song on the record, but at least moments of schizophrenia <laughs> that are on this record where you're like, who am I on the right? I mean, honestly, like a couple times listening to this record, I had to go back and check to make sure that I hadn't mixed files up or like something was mislabeled because I was confused that this band could sound so different. So at least that song, it sort of resolves well, speaking all of those schizophrenia. Uh, moments of schizophrenia onto one song. And you're like, okay, yes, this is the same band. And here's a song that, here's some evidence of that. But uh, there's definitely, you know, a, a half half dozen or so moments on this record where you're, where you're, you're not sure if you have the right album. <laughs> it's very strange. Well, speaking of schizophrenia, Fairweather Friend is a perfect example. It's It has three intros to that song. It starts out with like this regular intro and then it drops into this lo-fi like i don't it's not ska but it's got this like weird part that has nothing to do with the rest of the song and then it goes into this huge guitar intro i don't understand what's going on i don't understand what the purpose was of all that and they do some really (laughs) cool dynamic stuff in that song like they drop the drums out not the drums out they drop like uh the guitars and bass out so it's just the vocals over the core over the drums and the chorus and a certain part of it but then again, they go back to this weird lo-fi, like, I guess it's kind of ska-ish, kind of madness-ish part. I don't I don't get it. If you'd cut that out, I would have been much happier because I just didn't understand what the well, purpose a, of that was. Great chorus, too. You know, it's got, or, mm-hmm. you know, it's got a really good chorus. And uh, it's a f- you know, four-minute, 37-second song with, you know, what you touched on was the three intros. Which are completely unnecessary, <laughs> and uh, way too long to get to a, a good chorus. And, and yeah, I, I think there's there's a couple songs, at least two or three songs on here where the chorus is worth getting to. But man, when you're just you know sort of a song comes up and it goes through these goofy intro parts and verses that you're not quite sure where your head, you don't stick around for them. You know, so that's unfortunate. Um, but uh, now, did you did you latch on to any lyrics? Were you hearing any, hearing uh, any lyrics when you popping in, in your not head? Not really. It just kind of seemed like vaguely angsty, you know, mid 90s stuff. I don't know. Not particularly. Yeah, I, I was getting the same thing. Yeah, I, well, I was kind of hearing that same thing where it, it definitely sounded like young teenage songwriters where yeah. it was a lot of like, you're a jerk, F you, <laughs> you yeah. know, those sorts of things. There wasn't a lot of depth to them there wasn't a lot of you know one of the things i liked last season in listening to i guess you'd say more mature bands like therapy or scarfo or some of those other bands um, from the uk is they they can have a, or even compulsion some of them have a sense of humor or sort of a dark sarcastic or wry sense of humor in their lyrics um, i didn't get any of that from this band i don't i mean i maybe that was just because they haven't matured enough to sort of tackle that i mean that's a hard thing to do well Mm. in a song to be thought-provoking and kind of a little funny but not make a joke it's hard to be funny but not be joking well green day does that so i mean that band has a sense uh, to it but it's not like haha funny but it's you know they're they at times have fun, but at the same time they can kind of take a turn, especially now and get political. So they're band that are able to do that. Yeah, and, and, and there's definitely within the pop punk uh, 
genre, you can kind of get away with senses of humor. I'm thinking of like Blink-182. It's yeah. definitely a band yeah. that does that. And, and this is actually, in terms of a comparison band, this is not far off from a Blink-182, although not nearly as commercial you know, songwriting ability as, as Blink-182 had, especially back in the, the breakthrough yeah. years. Although That's an interesting comparison now that you bring it up. I didn't, it didn't occur to me when I was listening to it, but uh, that might even be a closer comparison than Green Day if you consider the full, this full record. Because, I mean, wouldn't, I don't know, I'm not super familiar with Blink-22, but I think of them as being a little bit more diverse, I guess, within the genre. I had some things that were a little bit different musically. I don't know if they did Yeah, style, I mean, but... they did songs, I mean, they had their What's My Age Again and stuff, but then they also had like, isn't like Adam's song more of a a mellower track and i believe like on uh i'm trying to i don't i'm really not as familiar with their catalog as i probably should be would stay together for the kids well i mean i should know everything about every band jay i'm a i'm a professional paid reviewer (laughs) of music i don't think anybody's ever understood that statement before i'm not as familiar with the blink 182 catalog as i should be (laughs) <laughs> that's oh, true but a, a song like stay together for the kids i that was a radio single but it was a much different sound than uh, you yeah. know what's my I age again and, and and those and that's that's from their 2001 album take off your pants and jackets uh thank you to wikipedia for that but again you know this band uh, almost parallels blink 182 blink 182's first album came out in 1994 this band formed in 94 this out one day at a time came out in 97 dude ranch which was the first kind of album that i had heard about blink 182 uh that came out in 97 and i had the song damn it which i think was their first single that i would have been familiar with and then the next one was enema of the state which was kind of the, that would be i guess the breakthrough record for them so i mean this band uh, symposium was definitely on the same trajectory as Blink-182 was, you know, with their 98 album, apparently that wasn't, uh, I haven't heard it, but apparently it was so good they blew up. Literally, they fell apart after that. So, so have, two different have directions. Have you heard the band, what is it, Hell for Heroes? Have you heard that band? Should we know that band? I have not. No, and I kept thinking of Hell is for Children, the Pat Benatar song. <laughs> uh, so I got confused, and then I forgot to look it up. So... I, I've looked. I, they didn't... You know, come up easily. I didn't scour. Well, it's also a 1962 that, film starring Steve McQueen. They're described as a po- uh, a post-hardcore band on Wikipedia. They are on Wikipedia, and that's how they're so they're described as being a little bit more um, hmm. heavy. And they have three that's a, albums. That's interesting. Or, or I guess you know, not. I, I always think of post-hardcore as being harder than say pop, pop punk, which I consider this band to be. So. Hmm. It's it's a different singer, so they're not going to sound the same. But it's the same drummer and guitar player. Ooh, so they got rid of the guys the with the weird names. Not a fan of the drummer on this record. I can't imagine him playing like post hardcore music. He's way too like active, but not in a good, not in a post hardcore way. In a you don't think his ska beats would go over well in the? Uh... Yeah. What did you think of the guitars? I thought at times they were a little overdone. I thought they were a little almost too heavy. Like yeah, sounding at times. I mean, it, it's it's when Drink the Sunshine starts, you kind of get that big wall of guitar sound, which is kind of cool. But um, there's so many, there's so much of the record where it's just two guitars, blast, doubled, 
totally compressed out mm-hmm. that it's start you start to get numb to it. I think that's why I like a song like some of the songs like Farewell to Twilight or you know Fear Flying where they stop doing that. You know, they have one guitar maybe doing some kind of simple riff and then a second guitar doing a meter melody part or accent part or they just turn the volume down a little bit. That may be one of the reasons why I respond to those songs is because you get that that wall wall of guitar sound. You start to get numb to it after a while. Yeah. Yeah, this definitely, even though it's only eight songs and it's less than a half hour, you definitely feel the length of some of the songs and you feel the, uh, I guess you'd say, experimentation and, and the dragging out, not dragging out, the um, very deliberate attempts at doing certain things. And it's... Yeah, it seems a little... Or contrived you mean it's not all successful yeah it does feel a little bit like they're they wanted to put this part into this song mm-hmm. so it's being put into this song yeah so we're gonna get to the decision we're gonna get to the rating jay tell us what is your rating on this album were the album better ep or just a decent single well i hate to say i you know with an eight song mini album god it's it's hard to uh you know, we're so critical of, of so many bands who do, oh, you know, 12, 14, 15, God, 16 song albums. It's hard to be to come in and not say this is a worthy album, but uh, I, I'm really at an EP. You know, I think that um, I think you could pick two or three songs on here and get you know, the best of the band. And not if you didn't listen to the other songs, really not miss a whole lot. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think it's better than a single. It sounds like Drink the Sunshine was sort of the big song. And I think that song's okay, but I think there's other songs on here that are better. So I think it's worth a worth a, an EP, and uh, for a young band, it's you know a good start. I'm with you. I'm at an EP. I think the two best songs are "Farewell to Twilight" and "Fair Weather Friend." Those are the two that I remember the chorus the most. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm at first five songs for me. You could drop the rest, as far as I'm concerned. Um, they're okay. Six and eight are okay. I could never listen to seven again. So let me ask you this, Jay. Uh, why don't you think that this did better? Uh, as far as I know, it made no dent in the United States. And it did actually, in in doing my research, because I do like to do some research and not just go in completely blind, this did make it to the number 29 position on the UK albums chart. So now keep in mind the UK albums chart, like you don't have to sell a lot of records to make it to the UK albums chart. It's a pretty small chart. We're not talking about the like the US album chart where you have to sell back in the nineties you had to sell like a million albums to get into the top, you know, fifty or something like that. Hmm. This is the UK chart. There's like ten people buying records. So what happened? This came out in ninety seven, is that right? Ninety seven, nineteen ninety seven. That's a good question. You know, I think there's a couple songs on here, at least in America, that are could have done done something. I don't know if they would have been huge, but they at least could have gotten some decent airplay. Um, I think you're onto something with a little bit of the sound of the band. I don't think it's terrible, but it's not as strong commercially as I think some of the bands, uh, like a Blink-182 or a Green Day. Just, you know, it's not quite... The drum, you know, I think it comes down to like the combination of the playing. Like the drummer isn't fantastic. He's definitely not as good as the, the two drummers in those bands, who are actually very, very good drummer. And then the guitars mm-hmm. are a little, oh, uh, 
brick wally like not real don't have a ton of dynamics or character to them um they're not very warm and then um you know i don't know what this band was like from an image standpoint you know from a visual standpoint or performance standpoint you know that may have played some role in it some of the band you know the bands we we talked about and they toured for a while you know and, and sort of really worked hard to, to come to uh, the success they finally got which was not on their first records you know so it was a lot of um right i think their performances played a big role in that their images played a big role in that and you know, not quite sure what this band was about from that standpoint the album cover doesn't clue you into much um you know maybe that was a missing Just a shirtless piece. guy what do you think yeah i, I don't uh, i don't have any input in terms of the live stuff i don't have any thing to go off of you know there's you can have guitars if you're not in in the right um, style of music. You can have guitars that blow the sound for you, and I think some of the guitars are a little too big for what I would consider like alternative radio, mainstream radio at the time in '97. Because you think about it, U.S. radio is kind of shifting a little bit away from the heavier bands like Soundgarden, and it's either getting more into your you know, you're starting to get into Blink 182s, but really it's more of like the new metal-ish stuff is coming in, and you're getting into the, the the tail end of the alternative. You're past, you're in your like your Everclears, you yeah. know, those kind of bands. I think this band is too heavy for like that Everclear, Marcy Playground, that kind of sound that was more prevalent. And even like Foo Fighters, it was like around the time the second Foo Fighters album came out, mm. you know. Everlong is not as he- is not quite this heavy. Um, well, it's a it's a monkey a, wrench is not quite this heavy. It's a fuller. I mean, all those bands are talking about are for the most part a much fuller sound. You know, it's the drums and right. bass are way more integral to the sound of those bands, and the guitar tones are. Uh, you know, they may be distorted, but they're not driving the sound of the band. I guess when I listen to this band, I think of like, you know, the singer guitar player kind of driving the song and everybody else is just keeping up. And, uh, you know, when you listen to the Foo Fighters, it doesn't sound that way. You know what I mean? Like, especially a song like, so you're saying like the second Foo Fighters record. So if you think of like Hero, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? That's like propulsive drums. You know, the bass playing on that record, the drumming on that record is great. And then over top of it, you've got these, you know, melodic hooks, vocals. And I think this band is like, you know, the guitars are, are driving so much of, of stuff. And, and the vocals, while at times are, you know, looking and melodic, I think they get lost in that a little bit. And for pop radio, um, I think you touched on something there that I think, you know, guitar sounds and styles can get in the way of a song being accessible from a pop standpoint. Well, I think we've pretty much covered it on uh, Symposium and their... 1997 album one day at a time we want to thank uh, matthew slightholm for suggesting this record and uh, it was an interesting one i'm glad that we got to listen to this because it gave me an insight into um, some uk music in the later 90s that i wasn't aware you know existed this was not a sound it's not a type of band that i thought existed at that time uh, over in the uk so this was an interesting uh, window into there's some other bands that get mentioned along with Symposium, so I'm, I'm curious to check them out. If you go to like allmusic.com, they they link to related bands, and there's some other ones that I definitely want to check out. So 
Uh, if you would like to make a suggestion, feel free to visit us at digmeoutpodcast.com and hit our request review page. Also, if you like what you heard, uh, uh, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. And uh, I think that's it. Jay and I are out, and we will be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages.